Welcome to the Bill Bennett Show, the only podcast dedicated to translating Trump. When we can, we do. It's been another big week in Washington politics. Roy Moore defeated Luther Strange in the Alabama Senate runoff. We witnessed the death of the Graham-Cassidy plan to repeal Obamacare. And now we're witnessing the birth of the Republican tax reform plan. Here to discuss it all is one of our favorite guests, Robert Costa. Robert is a national political reporter for the Washington Post, and he's the moderator of Washington Week, which airs Fridays on PBS. Welcome back, Robert. Great to be with you, Dr. Bennett. I heard the litany the other day. Uh, <clears throat> I've been at about the fourth or fifth time, the litany of the president's troubles. Uh, Luther Strange, he supported and he lost. Uh, can't replace uh, Obamacare with, uh, with, uh, with Graham Cassidy. Um, other troubles, other gripes, complaints and arguments with uh, from and arguments with Mitch McConnell, people complaining a little bit that he's working with uh, Democrats. <clears throat> Immediately after that, heard the president say, we've done more in nine months, six months, eight months than any other administration in history. Seems buoyant and moves on to the Republican tax reform plan. Um, how good are things or how bad are things? Uh, he remains confident. Uh, that's for sure. I think, though, beyond that confidence, you do have an administration that's struggling to enact its priorities. Health care fell apart on Tuesday. Hours later, the president's candidate in the Alabama Senate primary race lost, Senator Luther Strange, and you had Roy Moore, a conservative who said some incendiary things in the past. He was nominated. And you have tax reform moving forward, and, and Speaker Ryan and others believe that they can get some tax cuts through, maybe lower the corporate rate to around 20 percent. But there's a long, winding path between now and actually passing the tax bill, because there are so many members of the House and the Senate who have quarrels and questions about this deduction or that rate. Yeah, um, to, just from 30,000 feet, prospects better for tax reform than for health care? I'm not ready to say that. Yeah. As a reporter, I, I was yeah. covering health care deeply on Capitol Hill. This is a, a divided Republican Party in both chambers. Yeah. Uh, I, I know they feel pressure to act for 2018 to get a tax cut through, if anything, get a Supreme Court justice through in Gorsuch and get a tax cut through. But I'll believe it when I see it. I know there's the optimism. But again, can they really find consensus? Yeah, no, that's a that's a big question, and they can't count on much Democratic help. You think? I think they could count on a few scattered Democratic senators, such as Senator Donnelly of Indiana, maybe Senator Heidkamp from the Dakotas, who tried to uh, prod Democrats who face tough reelection races in 2018 to come along on what they what Republicans consider to be a growth package. Uh, but in the House, they're, they're, Pelosi will probably keep her troops in line. But but the, the, the House shouldn't be a problem for the Republicans, right? At this point, no. Uh, the the districts are pretty gerrymandered, and, and so Ryan, yeah. I believe, thinks he's going to keep the House. But if the president's popularity sinks into the high 20s or low 30s, I think everything's off the table. Just since you mentioned that, hasn't he seen a little little bit of a surge lately? Is popularity going up some? He has, and a lot of people credit it to his management of the hurricanes yeah. in, in Texas. But again, these things are, are volatile, these opinion polls, because now the president's facing bipartisan criticism for his handling of Maria and the crisis in Puerto yeah. Rico, how that shakes out, uh, could affect those numbers as well. 
Yeah, boy, these things are under a microscope, you know. Okay, you did okay in Texas and Florida, but oh, a couple-day delay in talking about Puerto Rico. You got talking about the NFL instead. We'll get to that. Um, let's come back to uh, t- tax reform. You mentioned he could get maybe Jitten Donnelly or Heidi Heitkamp or somebody. That could be the difference, right? Because if it shakes out like uh, we saw health care, where it was a matter of one or two or three votes, they they could make it the big difference. Would they be willing to make a big difference, or would it be? I think I heard Grover Norquist this morning saying, "Well, once the Republicans get fifty one, you might pick up two or three Democrats, but they won't. You won't see two or three Democrats going over the side to uh, to give them the majority." I think Grover's right because these Democrats don't want to be seen as unless maybe you're Joe Manchin or someone who's really in a Trump state. Uh, but I think Democrats could be prodded to come along and maybe make the package a little more bipartisan. Think about if you're Joe Donnelly. President Trump won your state by 16 points in 2016. Uh, your past re-election is very uphill unless you can figure out some way to win over the Trump voter. I agree. Excuse me. I agree. Um, I, I was a Trump voter, Trump supporter. It seems to me, you know, maybe, maybe the way you're looking at it now, the odds are similar to what we saw with Graham Cassidy, but as a Trump supporter and voter, man, they got to get this. I mean, they really have to get this. Otherwise, really, all he's got in terms of a you know major accomplishment other than the announcements and some of the rules is uh, Gorsuch. I mean, they got to get this tax reform. And this is right down his strike zone, theoretically. And the president's travel ban and so many of his executive orders are coming under assault in the courts. And so the president believes his executive actions are part of his accomplishments. And on the face of it, that's true. Uh, but it's really legislative accomplishments that define presidencies. And so far, they've really had a difficult time. Tell me about Luther Strange, because I've been searching for an answer. I've been commenting on it without knowing. Uh, of course, not an unusual thing in Washington. Pundits do that. Why did he ever support Luther Strange? I, I thought Roy Moore was going to win from the beginning. The night before the election, uh, I said he would win. Uh, and I said he went big. He won by 10 points. President must have had some clue of that. Why was he supporting Luther Strange? I was covering this race since the beginning, and I've spoken to Judge Moore and Senator Strange and White House officials about this. And it comes down, Dr. Bennett, to the fact that Senator Strange was appointed earlier in the year, and he knew he had to win over President Trump. Knew it. He wasn't going to win re-election in Alabama, win the primary, unless he had Trump on his side. And so in the summer, when health care is stalling on Capitol Hill, he was the rare senator who went to President Trump and said, on health care, I don't want anything. No tickets to the Kennedy Center, no seat on Air Force <laughs> One. You got my vote, Mr. President. And the president, I'm told, was taken aback by this. Wow, Big Luther, he calls him. Big Luther doesn't want anything. I haven't heard anybody not ask me for anything in this town. And so they developed a rapport. Strange became kind of a friend to President Trump. Uh, but And you even saw Strange put on the Make America Great Again hat at the rally last Friday in Alabama. But you got to remember, Dr. Bennett, at the end of the day, Luther Strange is a former corporate lobbyist who was appointed by then-Governor Robert Bentley, a governor who soon after resigned because of a sex scandal. And at the time of his appointment, Luther Strange was attorney general. That hovered over the entire race in spite of all uh, his embraces of Trump. All right. I said, um, I was on Fox the other night and they asked me about this and I said, um, he went with the candidate, uh, uh, we had the candidate Trump, uh, Trump likes as composed, as opposed to the candidate who's like Trump. Uh, the candidate who's like Trump won the anti-establishment guy as opposed to the guy Trump likes. I, does this hurt Trump? 
short run. Uh, I don't think it hurts him much long run. I mean, this kind of hunts, helps Trumpism. There's a mouthful there. It's, I think it's a little bit of a stretch to say it helps Trump. It's, it, it's an, it's Trump never, helps Trumpism. Well, I'm not so sure Roy Moore is Trumpism. Uh, yeah, okay. Roy Moore is an world, Old yeah. Testament style conservative. Uh, yeah. He's going to be a pain to Mitch McConnell in the Senate. If that's Trumpism, and it's, uh, if Trumpism purely anti-establishment politics, then yes, yeah. he's helpful to Trumpism. But he's, I'm not so sure Roy Moore is going to be helpful in getting things done in the Senate that help Trump's agenda. Yeah, no, that remains that remains open to question. Of course, he had that funny speech down there in Alabama where he said, "Well, you know, and if the other guy wins, it's you know, it's possible." And I because he saw the polls, strange was yeah. strange was cooked all by the time the president went down there. Tell me about a, a friend of mine, uh, somebody I've worked with in the past, Tom Price, Secretary Price. Is he in trouble for using these private airplanes? The president said, we'll see. That's a bad sign if you're yeah. working for President Trump. We'll see. That's the kiss of death, usually. I've been covering Trump for some time. That's not good, as the president would say. I, Con- Congressman Price, now Secretary Price, it, it, it's, it, you scratch your head sometimes as a reporter saying, what are these guys thinking? Ha- Federal employees, everything they do is tracked and has to be most almost everything is public information. Yeah. So the idea that you're going to take expensive flights on a private jet and feel like you can get away with it without a political cost, I, I, it's bewildering. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I remember every senior staff meeting when I had the chance to talk to the staff at large at education or drugs our office, I would say every memo, every conversation you're having at the office, imagine it's being transcribed and sent to the Washington Post. With all due respect, Robert, um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, do you want to read it in the paper uh, and everything we do? So you know, bear that in mind. Sunlight, sunlight. I think he's got problems, and I think probably, you know, there's some. Uh, you know, some bother on, on Trump's side about the whole health care thing and whether that was all properly handled. I will say this, as someone who was doing radio for 10 years on this issue and kept hammering Tom Price and lots of other people, where's the plan? Do we have a plan? Yep, we have a plan. We have a plan. We'll have a plan. We didn't really have a plan, at least not a plan that could, could pass no, it muster. It was a failure. I mean, it's objective, an objective failure. I mean, the, the Republicans talked about it for nearly a decade. Price was at the forefront that whole argument against the Affordable Care Act. And once they finally have all elements of power, they can't get a bill through. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, it is. It's a real failure. Tell me this. We got to let you go. I know you're busy, busy. But um, the president's disposition, his spirit, is he, he still seems, you know, up and ready to go, still tweeting every morning energetically, going about the business of doing several things at once. Um, what, what's the energy and, and optimism level there, as best you can tell? I, I mean, when I'm over at the White House talking to people there and friends of the president, they say there's a part of him that's very unhappy that he's not really winning as much as he would like. Winning's everything, not so much ideology. And he's, he hasn't had a win in quite some time. But at the same time, he likes being president. He actually enjoys the office. He enjoys mm-hmm. flying in Air Force One. He enjoys the give and take of politics. He loves being at the center of the national conversation. Yeah. Uh, so. He's frustrated. We'll see when that, when that really tilts in a different direction. And he's always paying attention to his base. What does my base want? My people, he calls them. Yeah, um, football, quickly. Um, I figured in the polls people would side with standing up for the flag. I didn't have any doubt about that. But I, I did not anticipate the degree of intensity on this on, on both sides. I did not expect to see so many people burning their Steelers jerseys or other things. 
uh, as we have uh, as we have seen. I think this this goes down as a Trump win. And, and by the way, I don't interpret this cynically. I know a lot of reporters and pundits have said, well, he sees the political advantage in this. And there may well be, but I think this is a genuine article of belief for him. I think this is one of his fighting faiths. I think he genuinely believes this. Any comment there? I think he sees an opening here for his, his brand of politics, the nationalism, the patriotism that he always talked about on the campaign trail. And he's had a rough patch. And so to return to some of these key themes of standing for the flag, respecting the country, clashing with those who he thinks are on the left or too politically correct or social justice activists, this is a safe zone for him. It's a comfortable zone for the president. And so I'm not surprised to see him wade into this territory. Uh, and you're right, in the polls, most, most, it's, seen mo- it's mostly popular. Uh, in all quarters of the country, uh, the president's position. But I'm not so sure how much it gains him beyond a few days of uh, national discussion. Yeah. So you think it was calculated, not conviction, or a little of both? I think it was a mix of both with, with, okay. with Trump. He, he knew that the base has been flagging on him for some time, the Democrats' deal, the DACA agreement, at least a handshake agreement, the stall on health care. And so Talking about the flag has never been a loser for him, and so he was looking for a win, and this was a win at least in terms of how his base perceives him as their warrior, their fighter. Yeah, all right. Not so bad as uh, I remember Clinton asking uh, his advisor, who was it, the guy who was at the Where to go on vacation, Dick Moore? Yeah, you know, should I go backpacking or or whitewater skiing? Which pole's better, right? I mean, I think he's a a stand-up for the flag guy deep in his heart. I think I think that remember he was famous at Mar-a-Lago, in Palm Beach for having a flag that was so yeah. big on the property that he got sued for it. I did not remember that. That's uh, that's great, great to know. That's why we have you, Robert. Robert, thank you very much. Continue your great work. We read you all the time. Thank you. Thank you, Robert Costa, of the Washington Post, and he's also moderator of Washington Week, which airs Fridays on PBS. A straight shooting reporter from the Washington Post, Robert Costa. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Okay, folks, uh, before we get to our great interview with Steve Wynn, he's got some great things to say. Let me tell you something else that's worth uh, hearing, and that's Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that created an outrageously comfortable mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Its award-winning sleep surface was developed in-house It has a sleek design and is delivered in a small, how-did-they-do-that sized box. In addition to the mattress, Casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. The mattress industry has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to you, the consumer. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper, It combines supportive memory foams for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature throughout the night. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. So, the Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. The product design features a marriage between foam layers for ideal firmness. It has just the right sink and just the right bounce. Bounce and sink. 
affordable price, because Casper sells direct to consumers. Free shipping and free returns to the U.S. and Canada. A hundred-night trial with free, no-hassle returns if you're not happy. But with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. And that's based on Casper, Amazon, and Google reviews. Casper, it's designed, developed, and assembled in the USA. Now, I have a special offer to listeners of this show. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash bill and using the promo code bill at checkout. That's casper.com slash bill and use the promo code bill at checkout for $50 off. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, it's time to continue my exclusive interview series with Steve Wynn, chairman and CEO of Wynn Resorts and the new finance chair of the Republican National Committee. Forbes just named Steve one of the 100 greatest living business minds in the world today. And in his role as RNC finance chair, he's helping the RNC crush the Democrats in fundraising. In this part of our recent conversation, I asked Steve what he hears from people out in the country as he goes about raising money to keep the Republican majorities. What do these people complain about? What do they want changed? What do they say to you? Everybody wants results. Yeah. They want results on taxes. They want results on infrastructure. They want to see change away from what Obama did. And they want relief on their health care. For the vast majority of Americans... Their insurance is provided by their employers or they buy it from a, from a, a carrier. And every one of those people have, have seen an outrageous increase in cost with no increase in benefits. That is to say, their, their living standard has been destroyed or impaired because Uncle Sam did it to them. Yeah. There's no other explanation. This isn't political rhetoric. The uh, the people in the Pelosi, Schumer, and Barack Obama decided to slam a thing called the Affordable Care Act through in an attempt to bribe some people and get more folks on 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 Medicaid that could afford to buy insurance themselves, and they did so at the expense of everybody else in the country by making them pay more for the same coverage so they could give it away to someone else. Yep. That kind of income redistribution cost them Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, the head of the FBI. It was Barack Obama that did it to Hillary Clinton. It was Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Schumer, without one Republican vote that decided to take money out of the pockets of every working person that had an insurance policy, charge them more and give it to someone else by increasing free Medicaid to yeah. a group that yeah. could afford it. Yeah. Uh, that That's what's going on. And they want that back again. They don't want to leave it that way. The people who vote in America don't want to leave it as is. They got screwed, and they know it, and they want someone to fix it. And D.J. Trump promised to do it, and they they followed him down the road thinking he would do it. And the Republicans in the Senate, the P- Republicans in the House did it, in a manner of speaking, 
they took a great big step towards it. I mean, it may not be 100%, but they were on their way to relieving some of this pain. The Senate has got to do it. And uh, yep. that's, what I, that's what I'm hearing. And how, about, and how about this, reflecting on what you said earlier, Steve, after the Democrat breastfeeding and self-examination, now they put forward a proposal for single payer, government in charge of all health care. Yeah, then, then all the people that work can, for me can get the same kind of health care that the veterans are getting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got a fat picture of that. Yeah. If I told that <laughs> to my employees, you, you wouldn't see a Democrat left uh-huh. in this city. Uh-huh. You try that out in this town where we've got owner-supplied, uh, employer-supplied first class, what they call Cadillac policies, and the unions got, the culinary unions got Cadillac policies. You say that to these union people and these working people, you want to see a revolution. Democrats, the more they talk about that, the more trouble they're going to get into. My employees don't want any part of that crap. Yep. Nothing. Yep. Let's talk, let's talk about another issue. And you mentioned this, but again, I'm thinking of your conversations with the Republicans, Republican leadership and Republican donors and Republican Party members. Uh, taxes and tax reform. How critical is this? You, there, there are two aspects of this. One of them has to do with the corporate rate and the idea that by relieving the excessive corporate tax rate and making it more competitive with every other country in America, in the world, you will give the companies a chance to expand more aggressively and create more jobs. And that is empirically provable and it has happened in the past and it would happen again. The corporate rate is directly related to job formation and companies' expansions and, and growth. The individual tax rate, very interesting conversation. The middle class tax taxes, that affects the living standard of the, of the people in America. Government has reduced and taken away part of the living standard of all the working people in America by having this huge deficit because every month when they print a billion and a quarter a day of new money it impacts the buying power of the paychecks of all americans and that's why walmart and sneakers and jeans have gotten more expensive the impact of the deficit on the value of the paychecks of america has reduced the quality of their 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 life and their living standard by reducing the middle class tax rate the government on an, with the other hand, can help heal that wound, that wound, that stupid fiscal policy and overspending and the deficit has created. Most people don't really understand the relationship of the deficit to their paycheck. And we haven't done a really good job of explaining it. So I'll say it today. When, when the Treasury prints, issues the bonds, prints the bonds to cover the deficit, they don't have the money. It isn't related to the gross domestic product of America, the GDP. It just increases the amount of paper out there. And therefore, each piece of paper is worth less. That means that your paycheck buys less. Mm -hmm. All the people who get paid know that at the end of the month, there seems to be less left on the table to pay for education or any other 
non-discretionary expenditures. They're lucky if they can cover their basic overhead. That's what the deficit and this printing of a billion and a quarter of new money a day, seven, eight hundred million, six hundred million of deficits, 50 billion a month. It's new money and it hits the paychecks and keeps eroding the living standard. By lowering the middle class tax rate, Uncle Sam can help, you know, make things less miserable and restore some of the buying power so that people can pay for their kids' education and have a little money left for savings. So, and then one other thing. Most small businesses in America, in order to avoid double taxation, they pay taxes under Chapter chapter S corporations. That is to say they run their businesses and get taxed as individuals. Mm -hmm. So when the company, a small business, let's say someone owns... uh, four or five beauty shops or two gas stations. They pay the money as an individual. Well, they may, they may show that their business made a million dollars. All the stores made a million dollars. But the fact of the matter is, and so they pay taxes a million dollars at the ordinary income tax rate, but they don't have a million dollars because although the company made a million as far as taxation goes, $250,000 was tied up in inventory. Another $100,000 was tied up in the cost of opening a new store. And all of that adds up to the point where people are paying taxes on more money than they actually received. So the, the individual tax rate in America is really also the business tax for all of America's small business. Yes. So when they, when they simplify and fix the tax code, once again, the tax code directly relates to the creation of jobs and a better living standard for Americans. This, uh, this makes it a little more complicated than what some people see as a hard distinction between individual tax rates and corporate tax rates, which you just described. But if you could only get one and a major reduction for the middle class taxpayer or the corp- cor- reduction in corporate, which would you go for? Middle class. You would. Because they're the ones under the most pressure. Okay. The inflation is hitting them the hardest. Yeah. Uh, 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 a broken immigration system mm-hmm. is another thing that's putting pressure on wages. Sure is. Reducing living standards. Sure is. And, and, you know, I'm speaking as a guy that has over 2,000 employees that are Hispanic. Mm-hmm. They're the greatest employees I've got. They're wonderful people. And they tell me that they think that there should be respect for the law. That's why they're in America, because the law protected them. And when the law dissolves in front of their eyes on television every night, they get frightened and confused. So what laws laws matter? Is it okay for one crowd to beat up another crowd? Is it okay for one crowd to shut down the free speech of another crowd? Is it okay for people to say that immigration laws don't matter and that I'll decide whether I can come to America on my own and take welfare and get free education? They don't understand that. I get that question from my employees all the time. You know, I always learn something from these conversations with Steve Wynn. Did you notice his answer to my last question? He said he would prefer a middle-class tax cut over a corporate tax cut. 
He put the interest of his employees ahead of the business. That's how much his employees mean to him and how far he's willing to go to fight for them. And that's why they love him and why they're so loyal to him. There are a lot of Republicans who would say, well, the corporate tax cut is actually more important. And some would even argue in the long run, it would be better for Steve's employees to have that corporate tax cut because it will help create jobs, raise salaries, and so on. Anyway, I found that a very interesting point by Steve worth, uh, worth further discussion. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Now, you all know I love football, and you're probably wondering why I haven't brought up Trump and the NFL. As our next guest will tell you, uh, one of his friends is wondering if I still watch football. We'll talk, I'll let Brian tell you that story. Well, I've held off talking about uh, Trump and the NFL till now because I want to discuss this topic and what it says about our president uh, and our country, our republic, with one of our favorite guests. And that, of course, is Brian Kennedy. He's the president of the American Strategy Group. And each week, the American Strategy Group brings us important conversations on the state of the nation and its citizens. I'm proud to say that I am a fellow of the American Strategy Group. Proud fellow. To learn more, go to amstrategy.org or facebook.com slash amstrategy. Brian, welcome back. Great to be with you, Bill. Thank you. Before we get to football specifically, and I do want you to tell that funny story about our mutual friend there (laughs) who saw me on Fox. That'd be a nice lead in. But uh, Trump's troubles, uh, I, I, I was saying to Robert Costa, from the Washington Post that I heard the other day, oh, litany of Trump's troubles. He's, you know, the uh, Graham Cassidy failed, and now they're facing what looks to be an uphill battle on tax reform, and people don't want the wall, and he's being criticized for talking to Democrats, uh, and, um, you know, this problem and that problem, and lack of uh, legislation. Is he distracting himself with uh, all these tweets? Uh, North Korea is uh, not seeming to get itself resolved, and maybe there is no middle ground resolution. Uh, the president's having troubles. And then I heard the president, and he said, nobody's done more in the first eight or nine months of his presidency than I have, and we're going to continue, and we're going to get this legislation done. How's he doing? Who's right? Uh, you know, well, I mean, it seems to me Trump is exposing to uh, to America the complexities of a republic like ours. Actually, there is only the American Republic. And uh, just how difficult it is to change things and how messy it is in the kind of fights that uh, he's willing to have. I mean, look, look at the last 20 years, just recent memory. You know, not that, I mean, we had Obamacare and that was a very negative thing. But you know, it's very hard to change things. It was very hard to get Obamacare. The back and forth of that was ugly and messy. The back and forth of trying to change that's ugly and messy. The back and forth of trying to get people to move from big government to more limited government is going to be messy. It's going to be contentious. Thank God Trump's willing to make that fight. And uh, look, none, in a democracy you know, things or people are going to have opposing views, and Trump is willing to mix it up. And that's, I think it's actually kind of fun to watch. And he doesn't care that people are upset. Well, it is fun to watch, but, upset. but you know, but he's a strong guy and a strong leader, and he does have a Republican Senate, and he does have a Republican House. So abstractly, without thinking about characters and individualities and personalities, he should be getting a lot done. 
Well, he should. You remember that famous line from Richard Brookheiser, that Republicans deep in their hearts know they're wrong. I mean, they feel bad. They feel bad for being for tax cuts. They feel bad for being for limited government because the New York Times would rather them not do that. And so Mitch McConnell... And they'd really rather be praised by the New York Times than condemned? Absolutely. So you can see why, you know, they're they're going slow on all this. It doesn't make any sense. They should be behind the president. They should be getting this done. They should be, you know, trying to drive the economy forward. But they, um, they lack the courage of their convictions, it would seem. If they have a good idea, put it out. They have... They've been talking about this for a long time. It really is a remarkable thing that the Republican Congress is not doing something to uh, pass legislation. And in that regard, it's on them, isn't it, and not Trump? Yeah, yeah, partly, yeah. I mean, I do think he could have done more on uh, Graham Cassidy or others to get involved, get engaged, uh, rather than just shout at them. Um, Maybe charm offensive, I don't know. Uh, well, well, you know, I'll give him a pass. Okay, but let's take, let's get on the tax thing. Now, this one should be right down to strike zone. This is something he should know about and be able to talk about, and go around the country and um, and persuade people. Uh, in addition to his own uh, to his own party, maybe even a couple in the other party. But he's got he's got to get this one. I mean, I don't mean it's the end of his presidency, but if he doesn't get it, it's it's it, it looks very bad, and I think feels very bad, and he'll lose some support. I'm, I'm sure of that. Well, he, he he does need this, not for just a win. A win is good, but he needs it to help get people employed. We need to yeah, help get right. the economy driving forward. The hardest part, you know, with our country right now is we have so many people who are either unemployed or underemployed or not even looking for work. And a dynamic economy of the kind that this tax cut would, you know, spur forward would be a very useful thing and good for the American people, not just good for Donald Trump. So, yeah, I, I think agree. we'll go I mean, around the country. The, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. That's the larger question, and that's the larger, more consequential issue, what's good for the American people. But it would be a bad loss. It would be a bad second loss on a big thing, again, when you have a Republican Senate and a Republican House. What's Let's the point uh, of a Republican? What? What's the point of a Republican yeah. majority if they're not going to do these kind of things? Yeah. Well, what you're going to get is um, some lectures on football and the flag. And um, <clears throat> I agree with the president on this. Uh, I did not foresee this being such a deal, a big, a big deal as it is. But uh, it is. Tell us why it is. Tell us why it uh, – <clears throat> when, when I talked to you, you wrote something and you talked about Lincoln and those mystic cords of memory and those ties uh, between us, blood of the blood and flesh of the flesh. Why, um, <clears throat> why is this such a, um, an issue so much bigger than a pigskin? Uh, well, you know, I'm kind of a – I'm the kind of guy who cries at the national anthem. Mm-hmm. I tear up because I think of all the men who fought and died for this country. And I look around and I see all the people who were there whose families fought and died for the country. You see men in the stands who fought for the country. And you're reminded of simply the fact that we're Americans, that in that brief moment, we're reminding ourselves of what is great about this country. And when those players started kneeling, and other people started embracing them, 
think it was really just a slap in the face to a whole bunch of Americans who were not going to be told that they had a bad country. Because what else can the implication be of kneeling or even locking arms and, and, you know, looking down? What's that all about? When Tom Brady did that the other day, that broke my heart. I just thought Tom Brady, he knows better than that. Well, you, let me just pick up on that phrase. He knows better than that. I think indeed he may. But I, I don't you think a lot of guys just said, well, you know, he's kneeling because he's worried about, you know, some police brutality or, you know, that the full promises of the declaration have been delivered or there's some nastiness out there, so I'll kneel with him. Uh, was it really a repudiation of American ideas and ideals? I mean, I, I, I was saying the other night on TV, seems to me that the guiding um, thing here among a lot of these people is ignorance. I don't think they know anything about the flag. I don't think they know the history. I don't think they know who Francis Scott Key is, Frank Key as they call him. Uh, <clears throat> the stories of the flag, that raising of the flag on Mount Suribachi, you know, Iwo, Iwo Jima. Um, Glory, you remember that movie where a guy born a slave would not, uh, what's his name, Bill Carney, William Carney would not let the flag touch the ground, uh, you know, in, in the Civil War. These guys know any of that history? Not in the schools I've been to. They're not teaching that. So, I mean, I, I wish they'd stand, but I, I don't think I could call them SOBs for not – they don't know. They don't know anything. Look, they're living in a country where they're making millions of dollars playing a sport. Right. They're, they're heroes. They're, you know, everywhere they go, they're celebrities. I think they I think they think it must be a good country at least at that level. But you know remember the year Reagan got elected 1980 what was what was a history book that came out that would turn out to be the most popular history book of all time and that's Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States published in 1980. Now that's used in schools throughout the country need I tell you and that teaches these football players and Americans that it's a bad country. Yeah. Country by white men for white men. That it's repressive and oppressive and that it's fundamentally illegitimate. So to your point, we have been teaching these young men now for 35 years that their country is very questionable, indeed not a good country. So I guess to your point – it might not be that surprising that they think it worth taking a knee, because right. not merely do they not know a hi- their history; they know a, they know a history of every yeah. wrong that we may have ever did, yeah. even if they made it up. They probably don't know anything. A lot of them, as players, <clears throat> if they do know anything, they probably more likely had Zinn's book than Bennett's book or uh, any of the other books that are out there, uh, and so they know it uh, the bad stories. But let's say they know nothing. Or they know the bad stories because they were taught to them by adults. Uh, is it morally right, justifiable to call them SOBs when they're acting out of ignorance or misinformation given to them by other people? Look, I think it's a, just a yes would be the short it answer. It's a colloquialism that is meant to simply suggest that these people are not thinking and they're behaving badly. That's all that really means. Yeah, okay. 
I mean, he's trying to con- look. He's trying to connect to people. Trump is, you know, when I when I was a kid, my dad, my dad and his friends would have talked that way, and they would have said it in a way not to have it meant literally, but simply to mean that this was a person who was not behaving the right way, who right. obviously had not, not had the right upbringing, and was therefore acting badly. Now, in the case of the NFL, they actually have adults around them who are monitoring and regulating their every single move. The fact that the players did it's one thing. The fact that a Jerry Jones locked arms with his players and took a knee. Well, what was that about? Let's, let's get right to that. What was that about? Because you want to tell your funny story first about your, our mutual Well, friend. sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I was, you know, I tuned in on Monday night just to see what was, what would happen. Just to see so, at the beginning. Yeah, just to see if they were. And then you turned it off. Turned it off. And I texted an old friend (laughs) of mine, conservative intellectual, but a a guy who lives and breathes, you know, cowboy football. They're his favorite team. He goes to games, you know, et cetera. And I said, you know, didn't that look awful with Jerry Jones taking a knee with the Cowboys? And he wrote me back. He said, who are the Cowboys? And he is not watching anymore and he thinks why do i want to tune in no he was also in the navy and you know he's a patriot yeah yeah but he just thinks why do i have to watch that it's hard but, to root for somebody yeah, it's okay. hard to root for somebody yeah. that you fundamentally don't agree with there's another another part to this and you don't have to spare me cuz i thought he was very funny about me go ahead and tell the audience well no he was saying you know, I guess you were on you were on Fox the next night, and you know you were you had been very eloquent about what was going on. And my friend, that same friend, saw you and said, he said Bill was great on Fox, very you know articulate about everything that was going on. But it sounds like he's still watching the games. What are that? As if you know you had you had not you had not taken that final step into. Uh, into you know simply watching college football. By the way, if college football does this, I think you're going to have you know er- about every half hour of every show is going to be dedicated to this subject. Yeah, well, I'm gonna, you talk about crying for the game. I will be, <laughs> I will be crying because right. of the loss of my right. Saturdays right. to college right. football. But I, what did I say? I wanted to give it away that I, I was know. still watching. I, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, I don't no, remember I, I don't remember referencing the game, although I confess I did tune it in some. He he could t- he could tell by your uh by your enthusiasm, I guess, for the game, but the real <laughs> thing was what what was Jerry Jones thinking? What was he and thinking? Think that- well, they they were thinking this was a moment of unification, I think is the word that's been used. Unification in regard to what? But then you know, uh, I guess they were booed by a lot of people. But then they stood up in solidarity um, for the flag and the anthem. Right, but when they were taking a knee, what was that meant to symbolize? A uni- unity is a team. Unity, they love all their brothers. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. I think Somebody it was moral cowardice. Me. It was moral Having cowardice. it both ways. How about having it both ways? We're going to kneel and we're going to stand. Right, but when even when they stand, they lock arms. Okay, who who locks arms? And they look down, many of them, as if they were ashamed. Now Jerry well, Jones me... actually had his head 
Jerry Jones had his head up, but many of them, and I go back to Tom Brady, had had their head down. Well, and let me this, tell you, you're not supposed to, to be ashamed of. You're not supposed to lock arms because uh, federal statute says it's not a requirement, but it says should. Uh, <clears throat> you should um, hold your hold your right hand over your heart. And uh, if you're a football player, according to the uh, NFL um, directives, the official guide for players, you are to hold your helmet in your left hand and put your hand over your right hand. So that would make impossible linking arms. And, of course, that's what they should do. That's what they should do. Well, ignorance aside, um, this is what they should do. I must say I, uh, <clears throat> I was struck and a little surprised and not displeased and how many Americans reacted like your friend. Um, I've seen, you know, that video played over and over again, of that Steelers guy just burning everything. You know, his yard signs, his, his jerseys, everything. A lot of people just turning off the NFL. You know, if you can't do that much, stand and, you know, and honor the flag and the anthem, oh, the heck with you. And I, you know, it's refreshing to see that patriotism. What, what do you, I wonder if you agree with that. And second, what do you suppose happens this week or next week? How does this resolve, Brian? What will happen, uh, you know, Thursday night at the Green Bay Packers? I mean, right. people will, will, be, will be tuning in and maybe tuning out uh, depending on what happens. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know uh, what will happen over time. It seems to me that the American people are a little disappointed, to say the least, in what's going on in part because the American people are pretty sensible people and they know how popular sports is in this country. And they see that if this continues, it will be a sign to young people that this is a bad country. And if you're an older person, you think, will these young people fight and die for a country that is no longer a good country? That should be a worry to a lot of people. I think is a, a big worry. It's not about the simple act of disrespecting the flag. It's about sending a message to the next generation that this country is not a good country yeah. and may not be worth defending. That's, well, the real, that's the real shame here. There's lots of teaching going on, and there was lots of teaching of different lessons. Uh, you're, you're describing one the teaching or misteaching of by kneeling and looking down um, <clears throat> when the flag is flying and the anthem is playing. There's some other teaching I'm thinking of uh, Alejandro Villanueva, uh, the West Point graduate, Pittsburgh Steelers, standing alone outside the tunnel, uh, helmet in hand, hand over heart, uh, as the anthem was played. Um, <clears throat> you know, point to the TV if you're watching still with your kid and say, be like that man. Right. Be like that guy. But um, I don't know. You know, I, 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 I was in um, I was in downtown Washington, ran into a general who's a friend of mine, a guy I've known for a long time. And I said, you know what? I'm picking up on what you just said, Brian, uh, in part or it led me to the thought. Um, I said, this makes me want to bring back the draft because, uh, you know, all the military people and ex-military people I, I met a unambiguous about this stand for the flag you know that's it the anthem and the flag you stand up stand at attention keep your mouth shut <clears throat> unless you're singing you want to sing it <clears throat> but uh, again you know why say the draft maybe that's too extreme but wh where else are people going to learn this 
they do seem to learn this in the military. <clears throat> you get off your feet more. You get on your feet when you hear that. But uh, American schools, um, the pledge. I mean, I, I got a lot of emails saying, you know, one guy wrote me and said, I remember being in school, you know, he did the Pledge of Allegiance every day. Out of your chair, up, stand on your, you know, your feet, put your hand over your heart. Look at the flag. Say the pledge. Well, I think, I think uh, lest we leave the audience in despair, the, uh, it does happen a lot in America that people say the Pledge of Allegiance and they sing the national anthem. Say, I say again, I'm sorry, I won't talk over you. Well, I think... You're absolutely right, but I said, lest the audience uh, despair about their country, it is the case in it that in big parts of America, most parts of America, people do stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance. They do sing the national anthem. They do it with patriotism in their hearts. Young men from these schools that we, you and I were criticizing, they still join the military they do still fight and die for the country. There is still love of country. That's, you know, that's all to the good. Yes. If only our elites would also see the fundamental importance of that. And see, when Trump said SOBs, he was, he was in the most direct way possible not beating around the bush. And he was just getting right to the point. That if you're going to disrespect the flag of the greatest nation on earth, you're an SOB. Now he could have said anyone. He could have said you're a jerk. Also true. Maybe he didn't have to use such graphic language. But I thought the graphic language was meant to underscore the seriousness with which he saw yeah. that, <clears throat> yeah. and how and how how thin a line it can be sometimes between you know civilization and barbarism. If you don't get these things right, yeah, yeah, a couple of interesting things in the in the other parts of the world. I mean, the media, which has been all over the NFL and hating the NFL and talking about head injuries and don't let your kid play and look what abusive brutes they are. These players, all of a sudden, was uh, you know siding with the NFL, you know, locking arms, if if you will. But no, you are you are correct. It was clear uh, the anger, the language made it clear. I went to look up. I still haven't found it. Maybe one of our listeners can find it. Maybe you know it. You're a great historian. When was the last time a president cursed in public? Boy, I don't know. Uh, a vice president cursed in public very recently. You remember Dick Cheney's comment to Patrick Leahy. Uh, as an even stronger curse word, uh, it was overheard by everyone, but he's, he was vice president. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, of course, was notoriously vulgar and foul-mouthed. Um, <clears throat> cursing but not, but pri- not privately, public, who not cares pub- about, you know. Yeah, what? privately, yeah, but not publicly. Yeah. But no, but I think that's right. This showed, you know, the, the, here's one thing that really bothered me, is that people said the media, this is why the media is so unlikable in so many ways, Immediate thing was Trump sees political advantage in this, uh, political calculation. I don't think this was a calculation. Maybe a calculation took place afterwards when they decided to stay with it. But I think he reacted. He just reacted in his gut. I think this was visceral. What the hell? Get up on your feet. Don't you think? He's not that calculating. No. I think I think he operates on instincts. You know, I think he was sitting there with all these patriots, and it struck him. God, these people are patriots. 
and he was probably still annoyed over the NFL stuff and decided to say it. It, it, it doesn't have to get much deeper than that. If you're trying to look at Trump and say he's some Machiavelli on everything, I don't think you're going to find it. I think this is a very in, instinctual kind of guy who looks out at the American people and wants to do right by them. And I think he would have thought he wasn't doing his duty if he didn't point this out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Here's a thought that occurred to me. I haven't heard anybody else give voice to it. Maybe you have or the audience has. But thinking he was elected in November, he's been president. I believe the last football game he went to was what? Super Bowl? No, I don't think so. Was he there? I don't recall him being there. I recall him being at the Army-Navy game last December. Uh, I, I'm waiting to stand correct. Sounds, I know yeah, he was that, at the. Yeah, I, I know he was at the hard. Army Navy game. So let's say that was the last game he was at. <clears throat> well, uh, he didn't see any, you know, anybody kneeling and staring at their shoes at that game. Sure didn't. Just a thought, Brian. A last thought on any of this? What's the lesson? What's the take home? What do you tell your kids? Well, I think I think the thing you you have to come back to is you know, we love our sports, that's one thing. But I think the lesson here is we love our country more. And we want to watch men who are willing to honor that country uh in the most obvious kind of ways. And it does trouble us as a people when our heroes, heroes, because these sports stars do become heroes, right or wrong. You know, when they're glorious on Sunday, we look to them. And football is a very tough sport. And so we look up to them even more. If they're not going to honor our flag, I think Americans are going to look for a new sport or a new set of heroes. And God bless Trump that he's willing to point those things out. That's a fine closer. I will um, now trivialize the issue by saying that um, there are all those golf jokes. You know, you've heard them. You've probably heard a few from me. Guys and and their wives, you know, marriage and golf, honey. Oh, I love you, honey, but don't make me give up golf, you know. Uh, I I love that flag. You know, I love this country. I spent a couple of years of my life writing this book about it. And, you know, I, I tell people, you know, God, country, family. But don't make me choose between my country and football, please. please. No, no. I mean, I'll hold out for the college game. I'll give up for pro game. That's not a a problem. But don't let the – Nick Saban isn't going to let this happen, is he? Some of your California flaky coaches might. I don't know. Yeah, well, I I can say that uh, my California high school, St. John Bosco, came to Washington, D.C. last week. Mm Mm-hmm and played one of the big Washington, D.C. teams. Mm-hmm. And when we come out on the field, we have our Bosco flag, but we also carry an American flag. Good. And there's one person carrying it and one person behind to make sure the flag doesn't touch the ground. That's great. And I don't, and I don't think you see many high schools in America do that, uh, but I would encourage it because I think it sends a message to young people that uh, it's a good country and a good flag. 
Good, strong close. Thank you, Brian Kennedy. Thank you very much. Great to be with you, Bill. Okay, we have to leave it there for today's episode. If you're listening for the first time, please tell your friends about The Bill Bennett Show. And make sure you subscribe on iTunes to get every episode the minute it comes out. Talk to you next week.